You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me want to. What is up, everybody? Live from Indianapolis, uh, the site of the 2022 NFL Combine. I am Matt Perino. I am here. Boots on the ground. Ryan Talbot back in Western New York. Uh, this is the Shop Buffalo Football Podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Whether you're celebrating at home or away this week, Tops is all your fan favorites, ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. And we are we're chugging Ryan Tal, but we are getting after it with some draft coverage. I feel like we spent today really getting to know the wide receiving uh, group here in Indianapolis. We're going to talk a little bit about them here at the top. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean went yesterday. We got a lot to bring to you today. We got a lot to talk about. This is a exciting time of year. I feel like things are starting to percolate a little bit in Indy. So it's going to be interesting over the next couple of days. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. And, and let me ask you, what, what is it like there, especially after seeing those receivers today, in, in terms of how far the Bills have come? Because it felt like every receiver was gushing about the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, that's a, a two-part question because I think what it, what is it like here? I mean, it's it's just back to normal. Like just from like what it feels like to be in Indianapolis for the Combine. We haven't had it uh, the last two years. And this event is so great from an ability to just see people put names to faces. Like obviously the mask rules, uh, all that kind of stuff, COVID related stuff has been relaxed. So this is like the first truly normal event. It feels like right walking around in the convention center, uh, without masks on, being able to talk to people, you know, bumping into Joe Brady and Bobby Johnson and Shade Tierney and Chad Hall, uh, out at, you know, at the bars last night, Brandon Bean, seeing him across. Uh, the room and Brandon Bean in general. I mean, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean both did a ton of media yesterday. Brandon Bean just hanging around, chatting with people, uh, for, you know, a really big chunk of time yesterday it was really cool. But yeah, the wide receiver group, it, it was interesting. I was going podium to podium today. My focus today was that specific position group. I think there's a couple of them this week that I'm really zeroed in on wide receiver and cornerback. Uh, and it's going to bookend the week because today was receiver and then we'll get corners on Saturday. Uh, I'll be here all the way through 
to then. And, you know, just hearing them talk about the ability to, to potentially land with the Bills, talking to the Bills in some of the meetings. It seems like the Bills have met with all the, you know, big names that I think a lot of, you know, uh, Bills fans are talking about, you know, Chris Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson, uh, Jihad Dodson as well. Um, Traylon Burks hasn't met with the Bills yet, but I think that that's probably coming here in the next couple of days. It seems like the Bills are doing their due diligence on the position because what I think is happening, Ryan, is as you look at a lot of these mock drafts, Brandon Bean's going to go best player available. That's without a shadow of a doubt, right? But at the end of the first round, I think the value at this position has the potential to be there. I think there's going to be a lot of potential guys that could be on the board from Traylon Burks to, to Olave. I mean, these are top 20 caliber players. And then, oh, by the way, Jamison Williams, mm-hmm. who I think is maybe the most interesting name out there. This is a guy that has no business being in the conversation at number 25, but torn ACL in the title game. What's happened over the course of time since, uh, his draft stock, you know, dipping a little bit. He's not going to be able to test. So there's a potential that he's on the board at 25. And I think, you know, I put up a story on it today. Brandon Bean was asked specifically about it yesterday and he brought up some of the medical concerns and having to have doctors really sign off to consider a guy like that at where they're going to be picking in the draft. I don't know, Ryan, you go read that, that quote from Brandon Bean and and go back and watch him talk about it. It seems like smoke to me. Like James Williams, like clear the smoke out of the room. Jamison Williams is an absolute stud. I, I get it. The, the ACL is something that, you you know, it scares you a little bit. But when you are talking about the kind of game-changing ability, the game-breaking ability of a Jamison Williams, throwing him into the mix with, you know, Gabriel Davis, Stephon Diggs, and obviously Josh Allen, a quarterback, it makes so much sense. This is this would be a value pick for me, even if he if he's not in the equation in 2022. And I know Bills fans don't want to hear about that because you want an impact player for a Super Bowl kind of window season. But this is the kind of pick where if you can get a guy like this at this caliber on your roster for the next couple of years, I think you run to the podium. I think you take the envelope and you run it to the podium. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and you know, Jamison Williams has actually been a very popular mock draft pick for the Bills, and, and it makes a lot of sense. You're going to be giving Stefan Diggs an extension here in the near future. You already have – Big time money locked up to uh, Josh Allen and uh, obviously Tredavious White and and the list goes on and on. So you need to start supplementing that with some game changing players that are on rookie contracts. And at pick twenty five, you know, th- there's no guarantee that maybe one of those guys will fall into into your laps at the wide receiver. But you want to be ready for it in the event that it does, because there's going to be quarterbacks that are taken earlier than they should be. Uh, there's going to be some, obviously, wide receivers that go off the board before Buffalo picks. But if it just one of them that the Bills really like falls, how do you not go that route? Because like you said, you're trying to build a long-term contender, have those guys that are on those uh, small money deals that can be an impact player from either you know day one in some of their cases or maybe in Jamison Williams' case, Maybe not day one. Maybe it's midway through the season. Maybe it's 2023. Who knows? But those are the guys you can't pass up. You're right. And I'm intrigued by it. It's good to hear that the Bills have met with most of them. Some of them pretty big meetings by the sounds of it in terms of the the personnel uh, that has been in the room, the, the talks just in general. But it's just such a breath of fresh air to hear all these guys talk about Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs in terms of, oh, yeah, I, you know, I model my game after Diggs. Or I watch a lot of his film. Josh Allen is a, is a playmaker. He's a superstar, whatever the case may be. 
Um, it, it's just a lot different from these Bills teams that, uh, that you and I both watched growing up. You know, I wanted to get into, Ryan, a little bit more on these receivers before we move on to some Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott stuff. You know, what's the flavor of receiver that you – because, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of them here when we're talking about some of these these top players. And as we continue to study them, we're going to get to learn them uh, a little bit more about them even more as we get closer to the draft. But if you're looking at – Stephon Diggs is – you know, he's here for the long term. Gabriel Davis, he's just kind of getting started in year two, going into year three. What can you kind of fit in? What what do you want to fit in around them? Because I think, you know, you look at a guy, a couple of guys that I didn't write about in the story that's up at Syracuse.com, New York Upstate right that, right now. But, you know, Drake London, a big kind of a burlier type of catch point receiver. Is that the kind of guy that you want to bring into the mix a little bit different? Do you want a slot kind of uh, guy? Obviously, Dotson is somebody that potentially can be in the mix there. I think Olave. You know, he, he can play on the outside, and I think he even said he felt comfortable on the outside. But he's somebody that you watch his film, it really looks like he is, he's got the skill set to be dynamic and, and sudden uh, in the slot. That might be something he, he might want to work on over the course of time. And that's another interesting conversation. If you are of the, of the belief that an Olave type, a slot guy is the, is the way that you want to go, maybe you do look to maybe restructure um, Cole Beasley, maybe don't you don't move on from him. Keep him around um, short term so that he can almost mentor whoever you end up bringing in to be the heir apparent there. I know we've talked a lot about that being Isaiah McKenzie, but as we go on more and more here, depending on what happens at free agency, if you bring in a rookie, that's great. You even if it's going to be an impact player potentially in year one, that's great too. But I think learning from Cole Beasley could be something that would be a benefit to to Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and the rest of the coaching staff. You can do a lot worse than having someone like Cole Beasley and all a former all pro, you know, teaching you the ropes, so to speak. So uh, absolutely. In terms of, you know, the, the type of receiver, I don't think there's necessarily a, a specific thing that I'm looking for. I like the players that have the versatility to play inside out uh, that can play out of the slot that can play on the outside, because that just gives the bills more options because you have a guy in Stefan Diggs. If you really wanted to, you could put him in the slot. You, you have a, a guy like Gabriel Davis who does a lot of his, you know, damage uh, in the red zone, but you can move him around a little bit too. I like those chess pieces, but yeah, I guess if there is one attribute that I'd be looking for, I think that speed, the guy that can get open down the field, especially when you know these defenses are going to be taking away digs in the big games, trying to take away Dawson Knox. If you have someone on the other side of the field or someone in the slot that can make big plays in those intermediate deep ranges, it just makes it to one of those scenarios where like, pick your poison. Who are you going to take out? If you want to double team digs, by all means, because this receiver can stretch the field. This receiver is just a, a physical mismatch in the slot or someone that can just create that separation. So I'm not looking for one attribute or anything of, of that sort. I just think that the bills would be wise to, to keep their fastball, so to speak, as they've said many times. And with this class, yeah, I've seen some people in the comments say, I think they can wait a little bit. Day two, you could probably find another guy in, in this draft class that could be an asset. Maybe not as much as some of these players that are going to be there potentially at pick 25, but this is a very deep wide receiver draft class. Mm-hmm. Some great stuff in the comments. Um, but here's a, a a comment that I think uh, I want to bring up and talk about for a second. Chris Spencer, did you guys see Matt ask the brave question to being about the 13 second documentary? And I want to say a little bit of something, talk a little bit about this here for a minute because and, I, and we don't have to move on from the receivers yet, but this is something that I, I didn't want to forget about because it was interesting. So Tim Graham from The Athletic asked, 
um, Sean McDermott a couple more questions about 13 seconds and, you know, Sean McDermott standing pad. I, I'm, I've pretty much gotten my fill in of those questions at this point. Like, I, I don't feel like they're going to be answered. I mean, we, we, we followed up with Saran Neal. There's obviously this united front. I don't think that the, the, the answers are going to come from on the record interviews, especially on camera with anybody from the bills at this point. And that's fine. And like we said, I, somebody's being protected. That's fine. I respect it. And so I guess I, in, in honor of Tim's two questions to, to Sean McDermott, I thought, you know, if Brandon Bean had, you know, obviously probably been caught wind of it, I thought it would be funny to kind of say, well, you know, is this something that maybe because of the United Front that in, you know, a couple of years that we'll maybe get a documentary, maybe a 30 for 30 on 13 seconds of what actually did happen on this kickoff. And he kind of smirked a little bit and said, you know, I hope one day we get a documentary on the Bills winning the Super Bowl and kind of turn the tables on me there. It was pretty funny. But um, we're here. We're, we're, we got a lot of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean yesterday. And that still is the case that, you know, it's not something that the, they want to get into detail on, which we, we kind of knew. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I've said this in radio spots. I've said this on the show. You have as well. We're not going to learn anything about those 13 seconds from anyone that's in that organization, in that building. Could someone that left the organization say something down the road? Yeah, it's possible. Once someone's gone from the bills and they're elsewhere, uh, they might be more willing to speak on it. But right now, I think that that story is kind of uh, over and done with, at least from the, the Bills' perspective. They're not going to talk about it. They, they've given no indication that they're going to soften their stance on that. So uh, it, it's definitely time to turn the page, look ahead to 2022, and, and you know, in, in terms of what can the Bills do to learn from those mistakes and take that final step to get to the Super Bowl and not only get there but also win. One of the things that people are talking about in the chat is Isaiah Hodgins as an option in the slot. And so I think that this also kind of – you know, pairs well with the conversation of flavor of receiver, because if you're talking about a true slot receiver, I know that Hodgins can work out of the slot, but when I, what I, when I think of Cole Beasley and the success that he's had in this offense, it's been his suddenness that I think is a trait that I want from somebody in this offense. I think it's been so valuable over the last couple of years that to find that again, somehow, should be something that I think the Bills are at least open to or looking for, which I think they will be. Hodgins is a little bit of a different flavor. He's a bigger physical body that can definitely work in the slot, but he's not going to win the same way. And you're almost going to kind of just try to get the ball in his hands and maybe let him be a little bit of a more physical run after the catch guy. And that's that's okay too. I think they need to find a little bit more run after the catch. One of the things I really liked about Olave, and he's somebody that going into this, I didn't have a lot of feelings on. I spent a lot of today, you know, not only writing about him, but researching him, looking at some of his, you know, uh, highlights and some of the tape stuff. He is really like, first of all, smooth is something that appears in all of his scouting reports. But you watch him what the ball in his hands and he's got this like real good ability to get instant yards after the catch because there is just an urgency with the ball in his hands to get up field. And that's something that at times I think the Cole Beasley has been underappreciated for over the last couple of years with the bills. It's like he gets the ball in his hands and he immediately gets up field and gets as many yards as soon as possible with the ball in his hands. And that's not something that I think Hodgins brings. It's something that like, listen, spending the 25th pick in the draft for that, you know, ability is something that I think we can have a conversation if that's a, a, a way that you want to go. I think that there's more to Olave's game than just that, but I think it's a part of it. It could be something that he does 
And I think he has versatility to move inside and outside. It's just one option. It's one guy. I don't know if he, you know, there's, there's question marks about his physicality and his ability to hold up against like really tough physical corners. And I don't know if you want to add something like that into this mix, because I think that's already been an issue at times for this group. Not so much Gabriel Davis, but Diggs at times. An interesting guy to think about here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Isaiah Hodgins, just real quick on that subject. There's things I like about him, absolutely. But the Bills fans also have to remember this was a day three pick, uh, late day three pick at that. And as much as we've seen flashes from him maybe at times and there was some tape that we really liked when he first came out, you know, this is a a make or break year for him just in terms of making the roster. I don't think that we should have any kind of solid expectations of what he's going to do this year uh, for the team. He's going to be fighting for a roster spot. And there's no doubt in my mind about that, whether it's, uh, some players that they add in free agency, whether it's some players that they draft, it's going to be an uphill battle for him. He, he has the talent to make this team, but he's far from a lot to make the team in 2022. Sean McDermott <laughs> and Brandon Bean spoke yesterday uh, for a lot of time. I mean, they were on One Bills Live. They did a podium session, uh, local reporter media scrum. I'm pretty sure they did one-on-ones after the fact with local media and then other outlets uh, and, and players around. So. We heard a lot from them. Where do you want to start? Well, you, you know what? Let's let's squash one of the uh, juicy stories that came out after Brian Dable was hired with the Giants. You wrote a piece on that, a, a little bit about the relationship that the two of them had and uh, the fact that Dable also spoke on it yesterday. So go ahead and kind of lead us off there. Yeah, I mean, both guys were you know asked about it, and I was actually surprised. Like, I thought Sean McDermott could have said, "Listen, I'm happy for Brian Dable. He's, you know, uh, I'm happy for him and his family," which he did say, and kind of just say, "I don't really want to go too much into it because he likes to keep those conversations and things that happen in the building in the building." But he went a little bit further and said, "Listen, I'll be honest. There's times when you've won as many games as you have, when you've had the success that you've had, and when things don't go well at times during a season is with expectations like last year. You know, conversations can be hard sometimes in the building, and he didn't shy away from that and kind of shed some light on the fact that you know you go back to last season at times. I can't remember what the game that it was after, but um, there was a loss, and you know he came out afterwards and said." Listen, I thought the offense needed to be better. I mean, basically put a lot of the blame on Brian Dable's shoulders and, you know, that he needed to be better and that he didn't know if there were some of the problems could be fixed in the run game. And so when you start to have some of that stuff come out in, in the press and you probably figure some some conversations behind closed doors, you know, there probably was some uh, friction there. And, and I think also when you work so closely together as a group over, you know, that amount of time, I mean, you don't see that a lot in the NFL where regimes stay together cohesively for years, even like really great regimes like, um, in New England where, you know, with Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels left for a while and then came back and was almost like able to have a reset. Andy Reid and, and, and uh, Eric Bieniemy. You know, reports of this, you know, the some of the friction that might have existed there this season and them having to kind of recalibrate there. It's just when you get to that point, when you have a couple of coordinators that have a lot of their own ideas that, you know, it it could possibly present problems as you try to, you know, coordinate uh, sides of the ball together. And, you know, Brian Dable basically came out. He didn't get too much into it, but he said, I love working for Sean. I love being in Buffalo. I love the opportunity that they gave me. And I think what it really was to me 
all, everything that happened, what this really said to me was that Brian Dable was ready to move on and get his chance to be a head coach. And that started in the playoffs last year when he was interviewing for the Chargers job. And I, I'd imagine one that he probably really wanted. It didn't work out and he had to come back and, and kind of reset with the Bills run through this thing once again, which listen, it's a great consolation prize getting to, you know, have another season with Josh Allen and this offense and the talent that's there. You know, Brian Dable went through a lot personally, lost both of his grandparents who raised him this year. So there was like a lot of things that I think happened there, but I think in the end, what I kind of take from all of this is that there's a lot of respect between those two men. It's just about moving on and, you know, Brian Dable getting a chance to be a head coach. Yeah. I think that's perfectly said. And, um, you, you know, you nailed it. There's always going to be friction in the, in the building at certain points during the year, if things aren't going well. And there were times where the offense was sputtering to a certain extent and it took them deep into games before they could put together a drive or two to put a game away, uh, where the previous season, obviously the bills are kind of, uh, you know, chugging on all cylinders, whatever you want to say. So, you know, things like that happen. Um, but it, it was nice to hear that both of them kind of squashed that. No, no real issues with one another. Great respect for each other. Uh, but staying on the coaching front, Matt, you know, one coach that I heard a lot of praise about, and, and they spoke glowingly about a lot of their new coaches, but Aaron Cromer, uh, someone that's already been here in Buffalo once in his coaching stint, someone that's going to come in and have a, a huge role in terms of protecting Josh Allen by coaching up this offensive line. I thought that both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott uh, spoke very highly of their new offensive line coach. Yeah. And, you know, you probably figure that they had a lot of respect for him. And it was interesting hearing McDermott talk about it. It's like he didn't have any personal experience with Cromer. Uh, it was more so a guy that he's respected for a while. He's kind of watched his career. And it was interesting. Eric Wood even shared with us that, you know, when Sean McDermott was hired, Cromer got a job before McDermott even had a chance to keep him on his staff. So this is something that, you know, he may be like has been, you know, keeping an eye on him and, and looking for an opportunity to maybe for a chance for them to work together. And I, I think it was interesting. It's like Cromer is the most experienced guy on the Bills offensive staff now, right? Because Ken Dorsey's a first time offensive coordinator. Brady was an offensive coordinator for a year and a half, but he's a very young coach. I mean, he's in his early 30s. Cromer was a, a offensive coordinator in two different spots with the Bears and the Saints, and he was actually interim head coach when Sean Payton was suspended for a year. So this is a guy, tons of NFL experience, has has been the voice in a room, and he comes in here, and I thought it was interesting. I can't remember if it was Bean or McDermott who said it, but one of them said he's going to have to come in here and learn our system and, and adapt to that. And I, I just thinking about that, it was interesting because you would think bringing in a guy like Cromer – he'd kind of like set some of the principles for how he wants to do things because of the experience. But no, it's going to be Ken Dorsey's show. And the more you get to, to think about it, it makes sense because what's worse worked for Josh Allen, you want to keep that in place for the most part, the terminology, the scheme. And so Cromer will come in here, learn that and figure out the best way to implement his own techniques, his fundamentals, his, his ideology alongside what Ken Dorsey already does. And to an extent, the same thing goes for Brady, who I think is going to come in here and try to figure out a, a way to add innovation to what Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen already have, est have established. Yeah, simply put, a good coach is a good coach. Uh, and we, you know, way back when, when Leslie Frazier was getting looked at as a potential head coach candidate, there was a lot of in intriguing defensive coordinator options out there and some that said, well, they don't really fit 
what the Bills do per, uh, with their personnel, things of like that. And, and again, the saying was, a good coach is a good coach. And Aaron Cromer is a very good coach. He's going to be able to come in here and he's going to be able to, you know, work with what the Bills use in terms of their terminology, like you said, in terms of what we've seen from this offense, moving the ball up and down the field. But he's also going to be able to put his own spin on it with the offensive linemen in terms of teaching them some things that he's learned over the years and maybe getting the best out of some of the players. You know, you've mentioned Cody Ford in the past, guys that uh, who haven't necessarily panned out, but maybe he can get them to elevate their game to a certain extent. That doesn't mean that Ford, for example, is going to be a starter by any means, but maybe be someone that can uh, come in in a spot start here or there or play some valuable reps, get more out of Spencer Brown at right tackle, who's been was phenomenal as a rookie help bring uh, Doyle along in his development. And the list goes on and on. And I think that's something that Cromer is going to be able to do. He's going to be able to work with the guys who are already playing at a high level. Your Deion Dawkins, your Mitch Morris. But I think they also expect him to to take some of these other younger guys and, and elevate them to that next step and that next level based on what he's done in his career. I never think a new voice is a bad thing. Like I think Bobby Johnson did a really good job. I mean, 19 19- the way that they were able to run the ball and some of the, you know, um, the way that he developed not only some of the young players, but, you know, got the best out of a, a lot of veterans that the Bills brought in in free agency. That was really important, not only to the offense, but to Josh Allen's development and to the way the Bills finished the season. The way the offensive line played, the way that Ryan Bates came in and played the way that he did, Deion Dawkins having a career run. I mean, I think that eight to 10 game run of Deion Dawkins at the end, you could put that up against any 10 game run that he's had in his career. I thought it was the best football he's played, you know, and obviously Mitch Morris, the ups and downs, the first two years, he really was a stabilizing force for them. And I think Bobby Johnson deserves a lot of the credit for that. But now you bring in Cromer, who I think you kind of get a new message in there, some new philosophy, some new ideas, and maybe some lights that go on for some other guys. And you, you, you've, you've established what works. And I think that Cromer has the kind of versatility as a offensive line coach to be able to implement different variations of things. And, you know, I know obviously this is a, the pin and pull uh, variation on this offensive line. It's been successful because they have a lot of athletic players in the offensive line. I think Cromer can, you know, have some of that happening. Maybe bring some of this, you know, the, the, the zone scheme, the zone run scheme that he obviously did a lot in LA. It'll be interesting to see. And, um, you know, also what'll be interesting to see is all of the things that you would see in all of the aisles at Tops Friendly Markets, from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs, subs, delicious salads, brownie trays. They have everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. And there are hungry football fans, hungry for off-season content. And uh, I think this is a week where it's it's fun to talk about all of the different things that we have on the horizon. I mean, you know, the, the legal tampering period, period, you know, it starts in a couple of weeks here, Ryan. We're going to get into free agency. That's going to springboard us to the owners' meetings. We'll get to hear from the Pagulas. There's reports out there now that any day now we can get, we can learn the fate of the, the deal uh, for the new uh, stadium in Orchard Park. Um, and then we're going to be at the draft before you know it. It's, we don't stop. It, it's NFL offseason, baby. We don't stop. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. You know, another report that's out there, Matt Gronk came out today and I'm, you know, it's been a, been a very controversial topic. I wrote something a few days ago after he, the bills were named the betting favorite to land him. And there's a lot of fans that are completely against it based solely on what happened a few years ago with Tredavious white. 
let's what do you think i guess first and foremost about this report from tim graham of the athletic that the bills are interested in him uh and how he would fit into this offense i mean it's what we've been talking about all all along ryan all off season when we when we brought up the gronkowski thing when people have there's been this level of shock almost like they missed the the entire story from last off season when not only did brandon bean admit that they that they had reached out to their representatives to talk about what it would take to get him here. There was apparently an offer that Gronkowski considered, and he actually came out and said he considered it. So this is not, this is not a revelation. I think the year that Rob Gronkowski had last year, the stats that he put up and how important he still was to that offense. If anything, that made, that probably made Brandon Bean want to want to, you know, look into bringing him aboard even more so. And so the fact that there is interest and, you know, Tim Graham of the athletic putting out a report today that, you know, he's been, uh, you know, reading the tea leaves here and some things here, uh, in, um, Indianapolis about the bills potentially being interested here. I think it makes total sense. And I'm looking at, you know, his contract. He's, he signed a one year, $8 million deal with the Buccaneers last season. I think there's work to do to be able to free up the cap space to kind of take a run here. But I think if you're Gronk and you're thinking about, okay, I want to, who are the teams that I'm willing to play with? Like, what are, what's going to excite me to kind of come and play? And maybe he has a relationship with another quarterback, but I can't see a more favorable situation. I don't think he's going to go to Kansas City and play, you know, alongside Travis Kelsey. I mean, that's an established superstar, you know, tight end. I, I think he's a guy that could come in here to Buffalo, play with Josh Allen, of course, which I think is the number one. If I'm Gronkowski, I'm like, that's what I want. He's my kind of guy. I think their personalities would kind of mash pretty well. Dawson Knox is a guy that all he talks about is his willingness and eagerness to learn from some of the legendary tight ends around the league. That marriage to me between Knox and Gronkowski, it's perfect. Knox can learn from a legend in Gronk and Gronk can kind of play a little bit of a lesser role, especially in the regular season. Don't take the beating that you're probably going to have to take. Make a run at a Super Bowl. This this is the odds-on favorite team to win the Super Bowl next year right now. If you're looking across the landscape, there's no team that gives you a better opportunity. And then the storyline of coming mm-hmm. back to Buffalo. It's not only – Ryan, it's not only the storyline of playing in your hometown. That's one thing, and that's great. But we know the Bills' history. We know what winning a Super Bowl would mean to this city and to Rob's family who I think for the most part grew up Bills fans. I mean, he talked about it, going to Bills games, tailgating growing up. This is something that I feel like it, it, it's almost too good to be true. It's like a, it's a story that you talk about, you know, a, a movie script. And so I think the more you think about it, I think the money probably has to land somewhere around $6 million. I think they could figure it out. I think he might even take a little bit less with crazy incentives to have a chance to make one more run into Super Bowl with all the other things we've talked about. I think it makes too much sense. And for those, I'll turn it over to you here on this. I want you to hit on this, the Trey White stuff. I mean, I think, I think it's a little bit crazy. I, I, I get it if it's still something that bothers you, but what, what are your thoughts on the Trey White stuff? Yeah, well, let's start there first and foremost. The, the Bills were interested in Gronk last year, and I'm sure that Trey White learned about that, or maybe he was even – Maybe it was mentioned to him ahead of time. Hey, you know, we're thinking about making an offer to Gronkowski. What do you think? The, the Bills do seem like a pretty open book when it comes to stuff like that. And I think it's all in the past. I think that as much as White obviously did not like it at the time and how terrible of a hit it was, 
This is the NFL. Every player wants to win a Super Bowl. And if uh, Trey White and the Bills feel like Gronkowski can get them over the top, I think that uh, he can put that moment, that play, it would be water under the bridge, so to speak. But, you know, let, let's talk about some of these other things. One, I had some fans, Bills fans, saying he's a ghost of his former self, Gronkowski. Listen, this is not prime Gronkowski. No one's saying this is prime Gronk. But that said, the 800-plus yards that he had last season being far from the number one option in Tampa Bay would have been a single-season Bills franchise record. They have not utilized that tight end position uh, throughout their history. So that just kind of goes to show you that even at this where he is currently as a player, he would still be a great fit in Buffalo from a, a talent perspective. Uh, two, you mentioned Dawson Knox wanting to learn from the best. Look at the gains that he made last year after going to tight end university, which I believe there's still going to be another one of those this year as well. Get him under Rob Gronkowski's learning tree for a year as well. Throw that in there. And, and I think he takes his game to another level. There's something called 12 personnel. And I know a lot of the Bills Mafia are savvy to that. But for those who are saying, we don't need Gronk. We have Dawson Knox. You can have two tight ends on the field at the same time that can both create those mismatches. It's a good thing to have a player like that. And like you said, I think you get a little bit of a hometown discount. Gronkowski, as much as he kind of gives off that caveman personality, is one of the smartest players in this league in terms of financials. Uh, he's talked about how he hasn't touched any money from his NFL contracts. He only spends the money that he makes from commercials and, and everything else that he's done in his career. He's got a lot of money in the bank at this point in time. I'm sure that uh, at this point, winning one Super Bowl for his hometown team might mean a lot more than just a few extra million here and there. So I, I agree from the money perspective. He wanted, you know, he used to play in the backyard as Eric Molds, as Takeo Spikes when he made a big tackle. He talked about that. The marriage makes a lot of sense if Rob Gronkowski wants to play one more year. Here's one piece of this, though, that I will add in. The speculation around Tom Brady's return continues to marinate. I mean, he was on a, I guess he was on a podcast and was asked about, you know, what he's going to do. And he, he kind of just left it up in the air, like, who knows what the future holds again? And maybe he's just playing it up. But if he does come back, I, I feel like the team that he does come back to play for ends up being uh, where Rob Gronkowski goes. He said if, if Tom Brady's playing, he's not playing with anybody else. So uh, that's that's a piece of this that I think will be interesting. Another thing that uh, Brandon Bean said that I want to get into here a little bit that I think um, definitely got a reaction from, from Bills fans when uh, I tweeted it out. Uh, it was fast and furious yesterday, and so a lot of stuff uh, was kind of coming from them. But one of the things that did from uh, Brandon Bean was that he has talked to spoken to um, Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison this offseason. Both have relayed the message to him that they still want to play in 2022. Bean said that if the price is right, he's interested. He'd be interested in bringing them both back. And I got a couple thoughts on this. First and foremost, I think you got to couch that a little bit with the fact that, you know, these are guys that he is very fond of. Uh, Jerry's been here. He's the one holdover from the Rex era that they, they've, they've brought in and helped establish their culture. There's really, there's a lot of love for Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison's a guy that they go back to Carolina with came in here, led the team in sacks this year, has a lot of respect for those two guys. So part of that could be like, you know, you know, just saying the right things and, and wanting to make sure that they, you know, he, they know that he appreciates what they brought to the table. 
I think Jerry Hughes is still a priority here, Ryan. I think getting him back, if you can, on the right contract makes a ton of sense. I don't think that he, you want him to be a featured piece of your, you know, edge package, but if he can be somebody that you, you kind of pin your ears back on third down, situational pass rusher, sign me up for that. I don't think Mario Addison is back. I think that's the, might be a little bit more smoke and maybe he can get a little bit more money elsewhere. But listen, you have a decision to make because even if you make bring back Jerry Hughes and you bring back one more edge rusher, where does that leave potentially AJ Epinesa? I think this is a huge offseason for Boogie, ba- ba- Boogie Basham. I've said it. I'm, I'm really high on what he can be in this defensive line in 2022. So if you bring back one or especially if you bring back both, where are these guys getting snaps, Ryan? I don't know. And listen, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I hate it. I really hate the idea of bringing both of them back. Now, I say both. If you bring back just Jerry Hughes at, at that lower price, and I, I believe Spotrick had him at about $3 million per year, I'm fine with that. But if you're bringing both of these guys back, one, it stunts the development of, of these younger players in terms of snaps, possibly. Two, what's going to change in terms of your pass rush? Absolutely nothing. And, and that's been an Achilles heel for this team the last few years in terms of getting after the quarterback, taking the quarterback down. I think that Jerry Hughes is still very good at pressuring the quarterback. It just hasn't uh, resulted in sacks as of late. Uh, I think that they want to get Greg Rousseau some snaps, but I would rather take that money that maybe the both of them would cost and use that and, and maybe a little bit extra to go and get one impact player that the young guys can learn from that. Someone can, that can be out on the field, get after those quarterbacks. We talked about Chandler Jones on here multiple times another guy that uh, would kind of be that hometown guy coming back has those rochester ties has some ties to this area in in general western new york in general and and is someone that has still delivered at a higher rate than either of those guys in the last few years so if you're just bringing back one hughes is fine i'm all for that um but i want to see something change in terms of getting after the quarterback and i don't think anything does if you bring both of these players back into the fold Mike Clay does a really great job um, from ESPN. Every every this time of year, a couple of weeks ago, he put out his first one. He updates constantly uh, a cheat sheet for fantasy or free agency, and it lists like the top like fifteen to thirty players at a position. And you know, you look at the edge rusher position, and there's you know, there's quite a few pretty good names. You know, some not scheme fits probably, but Bob Miller, Chandler Jones, Jadavian Clowney, Harold Harold Landry, Emmanuel Ogba, Hassan Reddick. Uh, Randy Gregory, Charles Harris, uh, Melvin Ingram, and then Jerry Hughes. And that's, you, that's, you're looking at the top 10 there. And so I wonder, Ryan, like, in addition to what we've already talked about here with this, how much, if you get to the other side of the draft and the Bills don't address the edge in the draft and the Bills re-sign, say, Jerry Hughes and don't make any other move, maybe they bring back Effie Obata too. And they, they're, they're ready to roll next season with that, th- those five. How do you feel about that? I, I, I almost feel like that may be a better approach than spending too much and hampering yourself too much with a big swing in free agency. I know that I'm talking about both sides of my mouth, but you know, I don't know the more I think about it, if Chandler Jones is the kind of investment, even for two years, that you want to make knowing what we know of the most recent history when it comes to what it's going to take to maybe beat the Chiefs and or or to put your best foot forward to defend Patrick Mahomes in their offense. The Cincinnati Bengals basically show that if you rush three and you rely on your back eight, 
you can frustrate him and you can you can maybe implement a game plan there where you don't need to rely on your front. Now, part of that front was Trent uh, or Trey Hendrickson, who was really good and and uh, you know made some noise in that off- offensive backfield that forced Patrick Mahomes to make decisions quicker with not as many windows to throw into. So that's part of it. But I don't know. I mean, I almost feel like the back set back seven, back eight in that scenario is, is almost more important than a big swing in free agency when you may not have the dollars to spend. And I think part of this is predicated on how much room Brandon Bean can, can open up listening to him talk yesterday. I'm a little bit hesitant to think that he's going to go in here and do two or three restructures um, and open up and uh, open up enough room with pay cuts and, and other moves to take those kinds of swings, I guess. And so how do you feel on the other side of this thing? If it's just those five guys that you're, you're almost running it back in a lot of ways. Absolutely hate it. Absolutely <laughs> hate the prospect of it. Listen, maybe, maybe you don't go out and make the big swing on swing on Chandler Jones. And I think that uh, the player I'm going to mention is still going to make a lot of money himself, but Emmanuel Ogba, I think that he's playing some of his best football the last few years, bringing someone like that in, uh, if you're worried about Chandler Jones falling off of a cliff, so to speak, because a lot of his sacks did come in one game last season, um, fine, by all means. But I want to see some upgrade. I'm not saying go out and sign the top edge or the top two edge players, but show me something that you're, you're going to go after someone that's going to be able to, to finish plays and make a difference on that defensive line. Maybe teach some of these young players the ropes uh, in terms of their pass rush arsenal. I just think that while beating the Chiefs is the end game in terms of the Bills, you know, making sure that in the playoffs, if they meet again, that you can do that. You also have to show that you can beat Super Bowl contenders on the in the NFC, show that you can beat the, the Bengals and these other teams as well um, that might be contending. It's not just the Chiefs. And I, and I get that, you know, the, the Chiefs are the team that have been the, the thorn in Buffalo's side. But you can't necessarily go in with that, you know, play three or, or and then drop eight for every single team in this league that might work against the chiefs, but it might not work against some other teams that you're going to be playing deep into the season. Shaq Lawson deal basically is what he's projected to get. Emmanuel Aqua three years, 30 million. Even if that's an 8 million hit next year, that's, that's too rich for my blood for what mm-hmm. he brings. And I like what he brings. Like, don't get me wrong. I think, I think having a guy like Agba, and and so I guess if you go for an Agba, are you not bringing back Hughes and, and Addison? I think that would have to be the play then. You're yep. subbing in Agba for Hughes and Addison. Is that an, is that enough? Is that money well spent? Like I, there's little nuance to this that I feel like you have to ask yourself several questions with each you know decision that you make based on the repercussions that it, that it potentially has. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, though, that that three year, 30 million dollar uh, projection. I think that Agba is is lapping Lawson in terms of the, the defensive end that he is for that kind of money. I think that's a steal uh, in terms of the pass rush. So listen, Shaq Lawson was very good at in terms of run defense. He was getting better as a pass rusher in, in, during his time in Buffalo, but he was never a difference maker as a pass rusher. And I was just actually about to pull up uh, the stats from Agba these last two years alone. The light, you know, I, I'm not going to say the light's gone on for him because I think he, he put together some some decent seasons in early in his career too in Cleveland and Kansas City. But nine sacks the last two years each, so 18 sacks over the last two seasons. He's had 45 quarterback hits, 15 tackles for loss. 
uh, he's been a difference maker. So yeah, I am perfectly okay subbing out Hughes and Addison for Agba, giving those younger players more reps to get uh, you know to, to help them develop their game as well. And then you can always go to the draft and add another player if you if you really feel the need to. Uh, something that the Bills have not shied away with. But I want to see Boogie Basham get some more opportunities, and obviously Greg Rousseau, A.J. Epinesa. So if that means subbing two players out, Addison and Hughes, who are both on the back ends of their career, for a guy like Agba, sign me up all day long. Do you trade for Bradbury or sign Agba in this scenario if you have to pick between the two? Well, th- that is tough. I ask because I don't think you could do both depending right. on what what he does. Like listen, I think there's there's mechanisms to open up cap space. I I'm, I'm just trying to um temper expectations with how much he can. I I really think that when he said don't expect any big moves, like he said that last year and you know, I think they still found a way to spend some money. I think even Sanders at 8 million was a was a move, was a it might might not have been a big move, but it was a move. I'm even I'm even wondering how they're going to kind of open up enough space to make a couple of the moves like they made last offseason. So I guess that's my point. Yeah, no, that, that's a tough scenario because I'm a big fan of Bradbury. I think that uh, obviously has some knowledge of this defense, spent his rookie year with Sean McDermott. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily lived up to the contract that he signed with the Giants, but I, I think a, a change of location could really help him. I'm still going to go Ogba in this situation, just based on the mm. fact that John, John Butler – in his time here with Buffalo, has really shown the ability to develop these cornerbacks. I think that they do like what they have in Dane Jackson. I think you can still add a free agent. You could draft a cornerback with one of your first two picks in this scenario. Uh, you obviously have Trey White. You have Taron Johnson. You still have one of the best safety duos in the league, which helps soften that blow. So in that scenario, I'm still going to go Agba, but it's a very tough decision. I like that scenario. And just real quick. Uh, Jessica in the comments has seen her ask about Thursday night. Yeah, I do think the Bills are the odds on favorite to open the season against the Rams on Thursday night football, unless something happens with Aaron Rodgers where he goes to a team that's going to be playing the Rams. Chris Spencer says, let's talk about who we're willing to part with the Bills with before we decide who we can pick, who the Bills can pick up. So if I, if I'm giving my updated prediction for who I think the Bills cut, I think they find a way to restructure Beasley. I think I'm there now instead of cutting them, even though the six million is a lot. I, I do think that they find a way to restructure them unless they have a specific plan right now, whether it be they come out of the combine, they have fall in love with two or three players that they think that they can get to, to replicate what Cole Beasley does. Maybe then they decide to take that six million. But right now I think I'm more in the camp that they're going to restructure that. I think they cut AJ Klein. I think they cut Daryl Williams and I think they cut John Feliciano. And one little nugget that I have been hearing um, based on conversations here is that there is some belief that Feliciano won't be back. And I know that that's not, you know, groundbreaking news. I mean, there's, I think it's over $3 million that the bills save if they move on from them. And, and, and I'm going to continue to follow that. There'll be conversations throughout the week. Mark Robbins was asking earlier, like, what are you looking forward to most from the week? You know, that is kind of it. Like being out in some of the establishments around Indianapolis, having conversations about, you know, what people are saying about not only prospects, but players in the league right now. So those conversations will continue to happen. But, you know, I think those three players right there open up the kind of cap room where you can then take a couple swings 
Maybe they restructure Daryl Williams, but there's a lot of money that the Bills can add by moving on from, from Williams. And, you know, I think when you go out and you bring in a guy like Cromer, you bring him in to develop young talent. And Williams isn't his guy. And that's the kind of money that can open things up. You sign him to be a tackle. You're paying him. And I, and, and I guess part of that projection is based on I don't think Williams would be willing to take a pay cut. And if that's the case, because he earned that. And he was good last year. Like, he wasn't great at tackle, but when he went into guard, he was really good. So I, I think that those are the kind of plays that you can make to open up space. Do they, do they do all three of those things? Probably not. But I think just Klein and just Feliciano, that opens up not even $10 million. And I, I don't think that that's going to be enough to make some of the, these kinds of moves that we're talking about, even the kind of trades that you're talking about, unless you're sending out uh, money. And that could be like a Cole Beasley type of situation. Listen, if they do a, tr- a trade for Bradbury, Ryan, Sending out Cole Beasley in that trade makes a lot of sense too, because you know Dable's going to want that kind of weapon for Daniel Jones, especially early on, to see what they have in it. Yeah, th- that's all in play. Uh, you mentioned a lot of plays. I think Feliciano's gone. Daryl Williams, you can make that case um, because he he was signed for tackle money. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't even be shocked if t- uh, Tyler Matakavich is gone just because the Bills, and, and again, it's not the same position that they play in special teams, but they just invested big money in Saran Neal. How much money do you want to really put into these just sole special teams players? Uh, I think Medikevich has served his purpose. He's been solid on, on special teams, but there's a new special teams coordinator. He might have his own guys in, in mind there, too. And I know Smiley's been with the Bills, and he probably does like Medikevich to a certain extent. You mentioned Feliciano. You mentioned Klein. Feliciano saves $3.5 million if you cut him now. Uh, I think another thing that people need to talk about is I think you're going to get a new deal, in my opinion, for Stefan Diggs. And in, and in doing so, a new contract for him lowers his cap in, in uh, 2022, and that opens up some money as well. There, there's things you can do there. there. There's restructures you mentioned uh, to some players that obviously you feel like are going to play out their contracts, whether that's a, a Deion Dawkins. Um, I don't think maybe necessarily with Trey White, but he's, he's in play too. So, the, the bills can open up money. There, there's different avenues, but I think Feliciano's out. I think you can make the case for Daryl Williams being out. Uh, but some of these special teams players as well, AJ Klein, though, at linebacker, you, you just resigned Tyrell Dodson. Uh, do you think Dodson can take a bigger role on defense? I think he can. I think he has the talent to do so. He's been in the system long enough. So th- there's some avenues and options for some of these players to be let go. Yeah. And I think Brandon talking about it the last couple of uh, times we've had a chance to talk to him. I mean, he's the writing's on the wall and there's going to be some moves that he has to make. There's going to be some tough decisions that he has to make. It's good. It's just the case when you have a roster this good. And, you know, um, we'll talk a little bit more about this on Sunday. Um, I want to save the cornerback stuff like Trey white. They talked about, uh, I asked uh, Brandon about trading up uh, potentially in the draft. Uh, we'll, we'll cover that on uh, Sunday, but let's close out the show with Tremaine Edmonds, because I think, that was something that kind of like, you know, I think it was maybe 45 minutes into all of Bean's uh, interviews yesterday um, where he was asked about Tremaine Edmonds. And I thought the quote was interesting and we could close on this. He was asked by Joe Biscaglia from The Athletic, do you believe that Tremaine Edmonds is a core building block moving forward? And this was his quote. Yeah, we definitely do. We drafted him as high as we did. He's been a captain. He's continued to ascend and grow. I know he's been a lightning rod. For I don't know all the reasons. You guys probably know well more than I do. I hear the questions and I get it. I'm a fan of him. I think sometimes some of his deficiencies 
have been talked about more than the things he does good. He's a 6'5 kid, 250 pounds. He's not a knockback Dick Butkus style linebacker, but his range and ability to play in coverage. We talk about matchup linebackers. When you look in the draft every year, there are not a lot of three down matchup linebackers. This is a passing league and you must have guys who can play the run, but who can also cover tight ends, backs, etc. I get the criticism, but I'm not really in that camp. And so a couple of things to kind of dissect from here. First of all, it seems like the belief is still pretty high in Edmonds in the building. Like that's number one. He wouldn't, Brandon Bean wouldn't kind of get too far into the weeds on the contract extension stuff. He's had a couple of chats with the representatives, but nothing significant. And he, you know, who knows if an extension is in, in play, putting that much money in the linebacker position, especially on the heels of two playoff losses where what he specifically talked about there, the coverage ability of Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, if he's that important to the coverage ability and you gave up a thousand yards in two games, to the Kansas city chiefs, I mean, you got, you got real questions that you, you have to answer there. You got to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself if you're willing to spend the kind of money it's going to take to get Edmonds back in the fold long-term here. And if you want to do that. And so, you know, I get backing your guy. He's still, even with, Four years in the league, he's a young player, Ryan. But you have to ask yourself, in four years, has he done enough? Has he shown enough that the transition from outside to middle linebacker, does he have the skills to do that? Because he said he talked about covering, you know, defending the run and being able to cover. At times, he's not good against the run. Like, that's that's one of the problems that people have. The instincts don't seem to be there against the run. Reading lanes, getting off blocks, all those things that we've talked about over and over again. This is a real quandary that I feel like Brandon Bean's going to have to spend a lot of time thinking about over the next six to 12 months and how the Bills approach free agency in the draft. And maybe not so much free agency, but the draft, especially in those middle rounds, can really give you some insight into how they're going to play this long term with Edmonds. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, You know, it comes down to the money for me. They they really went out and they they paid Matt Milano a, a I think it was a fair deal. I think he actually took a little bit of a discount to return to Buffalo, but can you really invest that much money in the position with those two players? Like you said, when you've given up so many yards uh, in those playoff losses and listen, Milano's guilty of some of that as well. There's some issues there, Uh, but we've seen Edmonds. You mentioned the deficiencies you mentioned, you know, one other thing over pursuing on certain plays where that leads to those uh, big runs for opposing teams because he, he went too far and then gets knocked out of the play. No one should expect Edmonds or any other linebacker to be a perfect player. Every single linebacker uh, makes their makes their fair share of mistakes. And I'm talking about Fred Warner. I'm talking about some, you know, uh, Darius with, with uh, the Colts and, and so on and, and so forth. There, there is no such thing as a perfect linebacker, but it comes down to money for me. And I'm not sure the Bills can invest that much money in a position where I'm not trying to say the linebacker is not important in today's NFL because it still is. But I, I think that the, the cornerbacks, the safeties, the the, the pass rusher, uh, all of that you can make a case is, is more important than that middle linebacker or, or that position that you see. And, and Bean is right. There, there's things about his range. There's things about his size, his wingspan. Uh, you hear other coaches really praising Edmonds and, as a player. So he, he is respected around this league. He's a pro bowler. He, he's a guy that the players respect as well. But it just comes down to financials for me. So I, I think this is a huge year for him. I think the Bills need to have a game plan in place, though, long term. So maybe those middle rounds of the draft 
finding a player that maybe you think you can develop in the event that you just can't come to terms on that deal with him down the road. I'll tell you what you can come to terms with, Ryan Talbot, that if you're hosting a large party this weekend, you can check out Topps' huge selection of party platters. They're delicious. They're effortless. They're affordable. It's no stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe. Visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy foodball. I did not ask about that read yet. I got to figure out if we're supposed to still be sending people there. I will do that uh, after combine week. <laughs> anyway, final thoughts. Give it to me. We'll get out of here. You know, final thoughts. See, these transitions, man. I mean, these are like the the chips ahoy of transitions since I know you're, you're a big <laughs> fan. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So, no, I can't wait to uh, get back together with you here on Sunday night learn about any other juicy nuggets you've learned throughout the week. Talk about that cornerback position because that, that wide receiver uh, defensive line, I think those are the three positions that are really in play in round one for the bills right now uh, before free agency starts, of course, because that can obviously change the game plan too, but really looking forward to finding out what you hear this week Uh, at the end of this week is when I'm going to start putting out the, the tracker in terms of the interest tracker that the bills have had. Uh, because I think we're going to hear about a lot of meetings informal and so on and so forth over the course of the week. So keep your eye out for that too, Bills Mafia. What about you, Matt? Well, you mentioned Chips Ahoy. Dang it, Ryan. What are you doing to me, man? I've literally gone past now three boxes of Chips Ahoy in the supermarket over the course of the last week. I didn't get it. Then I was in Walmart the other day, Target or something, and they had the little like to-go canisters of chips ahoy and i didn't buy it then i was driving to indianapolis i went in the gas station they had the canisters in there too i don't know how much longer i'm gonna make it um i did have some dessert at dinner last night I, i've been trying to like you know get after it in the gym and not eat that kind of crap but you know it is what it is uh you know when in rome i guess but all right we've gone too long i'm matt perino he's ryan talbot we'll be back on sunday pay attention to your two youtube feed facebook feed twitter feed we'll let you know when we're going to go live until then have a great week everybody enjoy the rest of the combine stuff shout a buffalo football podcast hosted by matt perino and ryan talbot